this, this instrumental leader leading the people of Israel out of their slavery, out of the land of Egypt, into the promised land. And what we're going to do today is skip over about 400 years of history to a guy who comes much later, who that we can learn from because he was not just a follower. He was like Moses in that he was a leader. But I got to set the scene for this situation. First of all, we're in the land of, of Israel and the people want a king. The people say, I've been living like, kind of like people who are camping all the time. You ever camp for a long time? You camp for a long time, it's like, man, I need a shower. Uh, something's wrong with me. I need to kind of settle down. I'd like an air conditioning unit, right? That's not what they said, but they said, I want to settle down. I kind of want to stay planted here. And for hundreds of years, they had these people that would rise up and help the Israelites, kind of like Joshua, kind of like Moses. And they kind of lead them all over the place, but there was no kingdom. There was no capital city. There was no king. So the people said, I want a king. And they picked a king. They picked this guy named Saul right here. And this is the guy named Samuel anointed this guy named Saul saying, you're the king now. And if you know the story, this guy named Saul was not a good king. He was a bad king because he did basically whatever he wanted to do. God told him to do a lot of things. And he kind of said, I'll do the things I want. And the things I don't want to do, I'm kind of going to skip on. And they're not that important. And what God ended up doing was taking the kingdom away. It's funny because this scene right here happens twice. There's one of him being anointed and kneeling. And then later on, a couple decades later, as they're both a little older, a little grayer, Saul has the kingdom taken away from him. And this is what this guy named Samuel says through the Lord. He says, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. That sounds a lot like the things that Moses said in the book of Deuteronomy, book of Numbers, even the book of Leviticus, where he was saying, hey, Israelites, you need to make sure that when you go into the land, that you actually obey God, because it's a hard thing to do, and not everybody's going to be able to do it. To really obey God and to be one of his people, it's going to be hard. So God says, this Saul guy, the people's choice, he's out. He's not going to be the king. And he sent Samuel to kind of this wilderness area, this little town called Bethlehem, right, which you probably know as the town where Jesus was born. But long before it was the town of Jesus, it was the town of this guy named Jesse and his son, David. Samuel's sent there. He goes and looks at these sons and God says, from Jesse's sons, he had eight boys, right? eight sons. And the youngest was about your age, maybe 15, 16, maybe a little older. But they went all the way up maybe to their 30s. So you've got all these powerful sons. Some of them are married. Some of them have kids. And what Samuel does is he sees every one of them. And the first one, the first one was named Eliab. Here's what it says in 1 Samuel 16, verse 6. It says, when they came, he, that's Samuel, looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. A couple verses later, this guy Samuel says to Jesse, are all your sons here? And the story was there wasn't all the sons, all but one. He said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. He was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. It's a guy named David. This, what we're going to talk about tonight is a guy named David. It's a guy that God chose to be a leader, not the guy that everybody else chose. 
He was an unlikely hero in the Bible. And what we're going to learn tonight is if we want to be a person who stands alone for God. I know you're literally standing alone right now um, because nobody's around you. You're six feet apart from people or almost, right? You're standing alone for God, right? Well, what does that look like in the world? What does it look like? Well, one of the things it looks like is being a leader. And we talk about that sometimes, but last time we talked about being a follower of God. Tonight, I want to talk about being a leader. And God calls certain people to be leaders, and I want to be a person like David. Look what it says in verse 13. This is the next verse. It says, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. You see his brothers looking at him right there? His older brothers, his more powerful brothers, his brothers that could totally beat him up, his brothers that are older, stronger, wiser, all those things. They looked at him, but it says the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. And from that day forward, Samuel rose and went to a city called Ramah. So here's what we need to learn tonight. And here's what we need to take from this guy named David. If you want to stand alone for God, what you're going to be called to do is be a leader. That doesn't mean you're going to be a king. That doesn't mean you're going to be a queen. It just means that God has things that he wants you to do as a leader. And there's a lot that we can learn from King David. So the first thing I want us to learn is we need to develop some things. First of all, I want you to develop desires to be godly. The reason we say that is because 1 Samuel 13, 14, that first verse we looked at, talked about how when Saul was the king, he was rejected by God. And it wasn't because he was a, like, a negative bad leader. It was because he was ungodly. And what God said is, I'm going to choose a leader who's going to be after my own heart. And what that means is a person who wants to do the things that God wants to do. If you take a look at yourself and you sit down and you think, wow, what do I want? Do I want the things that God wants? That's who David was. David was the kind of person who wanted to do the things that God wanted him to do more than the things that made him happy or the things that would make him successful or the things that would fulfill him or the things that would make him popular. That's not what David was interested in. What David was interested in was doing what God wanted to do. Develop desires to be godly. When I say desires, that means like what you really want. So if I asked you, what do you really want? When you go to high school, eighth graders, what do you want? What do you want from high school? What do you want from your experience? What do you want from going to school? What do you want from maybe the college you're going to go to one day? What do you want? What's the thing you really want deep down? Well, the right answer to that, and you might say this answer, right? But you might not mean this answer. The right answer, the, the godly answer is I want to do whatever God wants me to do. I want to do the things that God's word says explicitly that I need to do. And that's what David was all about. There's a time in the New Testament when these people wanted to be leaders, right? And here's the thing you need to know about David. David did not really want to be a leader. That wasn't his main goal in life. He wasn't saying, oh, you know, I want to be the person that everybody listens to. I want to be the person that everybody looks to. That wasn't really David's goal. That's not what he really wanted. And in the New Testament, the apostles were actually fighting about that. You might remember this story. In the New Testament, you had these 12 disciples fighting over who was going to be the greatest and who was going to be the most important disciple and most important apostle. And Jesus steps on the scene and he says this. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, which means bosses and rulers in that world, just like they do today, they want power so that they can control people and they can be the boss and in charge, right? And their great ones exercise authority over them. Verse 26 says, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be the first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, that's what Jesus did when he came. You notice he did not say, Hey, everybody, hey, guys, listen up, listen up, serve me. So that's not what he did. 
sure, that's something we ought to do. We ought to serve Jesus. And he says that later on. And really the apostles say that a lot more than Jesus says that. But what he did is he showed us what it looks like to serve people. And we can look to Jesus as an example. And we can also look to David as an example. Here's what the rest of the New Testament says. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. It says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, just like David. He was not the smartest. He was not a straight A student, right? Because he didn't go to school. Um, so he didn't get any A's or any F's. So I don't know, maybe somewhere in the middle. We don't know what David was really like at the beginning of his life. We know he wrote songs. So he was a music guy. He was into music. I don't know. So if you're a musician, maybe that's like, oh, David was like me. He was a musician. He liked to play on the strings. He liked to play the harp. Does not were, uh, not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, right? This is talking about people that God chooses to be Christians in the New Testament. It says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. These verses were not written by David, and they're not even written about David, but certainly, these show us what it looks like to be humble like David. David did not seek to be everybody's boss, and to be everybody's leader. That wasn't his goal. What David wanted as a young man was just to do what God wanted him to do. Right? Here's the thing. God's going to call a lot of you to be leaders. He's going to cause you to be leaders in your home. If you're a girl in here, God is probably, the stats are, he's probably going to call you to be a wife and maybe one day a mom. That means you're going to be a leader. He might call you to be a, a small group leader. He might call you to lead in a million different ways. Guys, he's going to call you to, um, to lead in your home. You're going to be a husband one day. You might be a father one day. God's going to call you to do leadership. And a lot of what that means is getting people to do stuff they don't want to do, right? Um, as sad as that is. But getting people to do stuff, and one of the most important things God calls every Christian to do, to be a leader, is to be a disciple maker. Now, a lot of times we talk about what Jesus said before he left. His final words to the disciples were, I want you to make disciples for me. I want you to lead other people to be like me. So whether you're going to be a mom or a dad or a husband, a wife, a boss, whatever you're going to be when you grow up, if you're a Christian, God calls you to be a disciple maker. And what that means is you are going to have to lead people to be growing spiritually. You can't do that if you don't want to be godly. It just won't work. Right? God might call you to be you know, a doctor or a lawyer or a boss or whatever. Right? And those things are great. And I guess you don't need to be godly to be a doctor or to be a lawyer. But there are really important things that God calls every Christian to do. And what you got to do beforehand is prepare for that and be godly as a young person. The next thing that happened when David was a young person was there was this guy named Goliath. You may have heard of him. He was this Philistine fighter who was super tall. The Bible says that he was almost nine feet tall. Imagine that. Right? You guys think Kellen Allen's tall, right, who goes to the church. You guys think, uh, there's that other guy, Chris from Thrive, right? I don't even know his last name. He's really tall. I'm just name dropping people at church who are tall. Uh, you think, I don't know, Yao Ming is tall. He's a little too old for you. You guys know who Yao Ming is? Yeah. Shaq. Remember Shaq? Right. When I was in youth group, Yao Ming was cool, right? And Shaq was cool. They were, they were playing in the NBA. Right. Super tall guys. Guess what? This guy, Goliath, was even taller than they were. Crazy. He's almost nine feet tall. Imagine a nine foot tall guy showing up to you, junior high boy. 
five foot four, maybe five two. How tall are you, Braden? Five two? That's great. Think Braden's size, right? Five two. That's crazy. Um, not crazy. I don't know how tall David was. But this guy shows up and he taunts the nation of Israel. He stands up in this valley. And it kind of was a lot like this, actually, if you think about it. There was these two um, plains that kind of met in this valley, or two mountains, sorry, that met in this valley. And one of the armies was on one side at the base of the mountain. The other was on the other side. And there was a river that ran through right the middle. And it was the time when people were out to battle, so the river wasn't running. It was all dried up. Just like when you kind of look at a Tribuco Canyon or something, there's like the spot for the river, but there's no water going through it. That's a lot like what it was when this guy Goliath showed up and wanted to fight the Israelites. Here's what he said. He stood out and shouted to the ranks of Israel. That's the army. He says, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself. And let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Pretty scary from a guy who's like nine feet tall and who's shouting at this group of Israelites saying, who's going to fight me? Somebody fight me. When he says right there, I defy the ranks of Israel, you know what he's saying? Right? When you ever came out to fight a battle against a, an army, right? we, we read it in today's DBR, where the Assyrians were fighting the Israelites, and what do the Assyrians say? He says, I'm fighting you, and you know what that means? We're fighting your gods. And what he's saying is, your God can't take me down. That's what Goliath is saying. That obviously didn't sit well with David, who was just showing up delivering bread and cheese. He was just uh, dropping off a grilled cheese sandwich to his brothers, you know? Um, like the bads, in and out you know how they make grilled cheese if you ask them, right? You ever done that? I got grilled cheese at in and out Whatever, try it one day. Um, that's what I imagine. David's coming out to the battle, just bringing bread and cheese to his brothers, right? It's like, that's pretty cool. Um, but he shows up and he hears this guy. He sees this guy mocking God, making fun of God. Not just making fun of the Israelites, but also making fun of God. And here's what he says. He says, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and take away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who is this guy? Who does this guy think he is? That he's defying God and God's armies? Well, David, he spoke. And uh, when he spoke, people were like, hey, uh, Saul, there's this, there's this like, little kid who uh, is kind of trash talking your military strategy right now. So Saul's like, yeah, come on in. And what he says, this is David talking to Saul. It says, but David said to Saul, your servant, he's talking about himself, used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took the lamb from the flock, I went against him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Imagine a lion showing up, taking a little sheep, a little lamb, from the flock. And David coming up and, and going to fight this lion, the lion kind of stands up on its, on its hind legs and he just grabs it by its beard and he just starts shanking it, right? That, sorry, but that's like what you would do. Um, that's nuts. Like, I know this Bible character, right? But, okay, real person, real bear, real lion, real shank. Like, like this is, that's freaky. 
Could you imagine? And then a bear, you know the big like black bears and the brown bears that you're always freaked out that if maybe you go at camp, maybe there's a bear there. Like, oh, I've got to text my parents if there's a bear. It's like, yeah, it's the wilderness. There's a bear. There's obviously bears. That's the whole point. Um, well, maybe it's not the point for going to camp, but whatever. Anyway, um, he sees this bear. He killed these bears. How old was he? Was he 25? Was he 30? Teenager. 13, 14, 15. It's like Joseph Lopez. I don't know. Um, it's like, don't get him mad. He's, he's so strong, right? Oh, David, right? We don't know how strong he was. We certainly know he did some crazy things. And he says, your servant has struck, this is verse 36, right in the middle. It says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. David's angry. Like, I don't know if you can catch that. He's saying, this guy defied the armies of the living God. I'm going to kill him. Interesting. Verse 37. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, okay, go. The Lord be with you. Have fun, right? God bless you. You're gonna, be, you're gonna do great, David. Uh, with rolling his eyes in the back of his head. David comes out. Philistine says this to him. Oh, well, Philistine also had the shield bearer in front of him. He literally had two people, uh, two on one here. And the, the two were stronger than the one. Verse 42 says, when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth. He was ruddy and handsome in appearance. He's just a, a kid, basically. He's just a teenager. Right, who is this guy? Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? You think I'm a dog? Philistine cursed David by what? By his gods. This is, all this is just a fight between gods, right? Just played out between two humans. That's all that's really going on here. Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come here, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. You know what that means? I'm gonna kill you, I'm gonna throw your body so the birds can peck out your liver, right? That's intense. That's pretty scary. Here's what happens next. David doesn't bring a sword, he doesn't bring a, a spear, he doesn't bring a shield, he doesn't bring any people. But David said this to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Right? You want to like run through a brick wall after hearing that, right? David's like, I'm going to kill you, right? That's exactly what he does. Takes his slingshot, throws, hits him between the eyes, takes Goliath's sword. He doesn't even kill him with the slingshot. Takes Goliath's sword, goes over and cuts off his head, right? Teenager, David, Pastor John, what do you want us to learn from this guy again? Right? It's like when I get mad at my sibling. No, that's not the application here. Right? That's not what's going on. Why is David so mad? David's, David's like, I don't know. David seems like a cool guy, but David went nuts, right? Why? Well, because Goliath defied God. He's not mad that he's making Saul look bad. He doesn't really care about that. He's not mad that his brother Eliab is made to look bad. He's mad because God's honor is at stake. That's the second thing that we need to do. If we want to develop to be leaders like David, we need to develop a passion like his for God's honor. 
passion for God's honor. That's what all of this has been about. That's why the Philistines fighting him because he's saying, look, if I'm the strongest and the biggest for my clan, who's your biggest and strongest, right? Who's your God to fight my God? You can't even do it. You can't even bring a guy. You guys are a bunch of sissies. You're not even bringing anybody to fight me, right? That's what, that's what Goliath is saying. And what does David do? He's like, dude, this isn't even about me. And that's what he says. This battle is not about who's stronger or who's got more like power attributes on the video game. Right? It's not about that. This, this, this battle is strictly all about the Lord. That's what this is about. He fights him. He was standing up for God because nobody else was standing up for God. We don't know who wrote Psalm 119. We think it might be David. It might be another godly person, but look what Psalm 119 verse 53 says. It says, hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. David was angry. Why? Because sin was going on, because God was being dishonored. When, when you hear bad words, when people disobey their parents, when people flaunt their sin, how do you feel? How, do, like, how does that make you feel? When people use God's name in vain, when people use Jesus' name as a cuss word, how do you feel? What do you do? Well, David would not have it. He hate, like there's one thing that made David really upset, and it was when God was dishonored. He didn't care about him. Later on, we find out in his life, he's dishonored time after time. It's like, okay, that's fine, but as long as God's not dishonored. That passion... And that hatred of that sin really shouldn't start outside of you. It should start inside of you and it should start to yourself, right? That's the first thing. First of all, um, hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law, right? The application isn't go outside here and get mad at everybody who's not doing what God says. That's not the, the main thing. First of all, um, recognize and be upset. If you're gonna be upset about anybody's sin, you need to start with you. Start with your sin. Right? But if you're living righteously and you see God being dishonored, that should make you feel a certain way. That should make you upset. That's okay to be upset about that. The answer isn't doing what David did here because that's not the context. The context that you probably encounter is with words and with phrases and with what people say and what people do. Not necessarily with an army and swords and with slingshots and, and all that stuff. That's not our, our area of battle. Right? Ephesians 6 actually says that our war is not with flesh and blood. Our war is against spiritual forces. That's what we hate. We hate spiritual forces that keep people enslaved to their own sin. We hate that. And that makes us upset. And that should get you fired up and get you passionate like David. You, you cannot be a good spiritual leader if you are not passionate about God's honor. It just, you can't do it. You'll get lazy. You'll get lackadaisical. You'll let compromise happen if you're not passionate about God's honor. This other verse, Isaiah 52 talks about how all the world needs to see God's glory. Here's what it says. It says, The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. And if you know your Bible, what comes after Isaiah 52? Isaiah 53. Good job, right? Isaiah 53 comes right after. You know what's in Isaiah 53? You know the salvation of God that he's talking about? You know what he's going to talk about? What Jesus did for us. That the salvation of God, everybody can know throughout all the ends of the earth. We want people to know that Jesus died for us. And that you should be passionate about too. You should be passionate about having people see that and having people know that there's a God and his name is the Lord. And that there's a savior and his name is Jesus. And he died for us. 
Be passionate about that. Back to the story. David, he's now a kind of a hero. People look up to him. People even sing a song. There's this famous song that they sing. They say, Saul has slain his thousands. Saying, wow, King Saul, he's powerful. He's mighty. He's killed thousands of our enemies. It says, and David has slain tens of thousands, right? Whoa. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, right? But it's a, obviously an exaggeration. He may not have killed, you know, 50,000 people by, his, by himself. Probably not. Um, but certainly he was the warrior. He was the hero. People looked to him. Guess how that made Saul feel? Made him feel like that. Oh, by the way, that's Saul, that's David. No, it kind of looks like a girl, but that's a famous painting. So that's why I included it. Hey, were you thinking that? Like, what's going on? Like, is that David? Is that? Right, no. I showed Alexander this before. She's like, wait, is that a girl? Like, no, that's David. Right, so it's really hard to, like, find consistent pictures. Sometimes they're cartoons, sometimes they're real, whatever. Anyway, uh, Saul got mad at David. And he didn't just get kind of mad at David. He got really mad at David. And he wanted to kill him. And he didn't just try to kill him with a spear. Look how many times he, he tried to kill him. Right? This was from my count uh, going through this um, this week. Um, I think, I, I didn't, there's no official number on this. You could probably find it somewhere. By my count, Saul tried to kill David like over 10 times. Okay, that's crazy. Could you imagine if your king tried to kill you like 10 times? You know, made this worse, right? Number uh, two there, guess what happened uh, right after or soon after David slayed Goliath. Guess what Saul said? Hey, you should marry my daughter. It'd be great. You should be my family. And David's like, okay, sure, right? And he's like, oh yeah, hey, I just had this little little condition. You need to kill like a hundred Philistines for me. And David's like, uh, okay. And then David goes and kills 200 and throws the trophy down at, at Saul's feet and says, hey, I actually killed 200. The Lord was with me, right? Okay, crazy. Now he's the son-in-law of the king. And then look how many times, like the fact that he married in didn't help him. Maybe like it just made it worse. I don't know. Um, Look at that. All those times that Saul tried to kill David. Do you know how many times David tried to kill Saul? Zero. Zero times. You might be thinking, wait a minute, but David was anointed as the king. Wasn't he supposed to be the king? Yeah, he was. But all in God's timing. He was not going to force God's hand. And, and here's the thing. David right, was a great leader. And one of the ways he became a great leader is over time, he showed patience with all the people that hated him and all the people that opposed him. That's point number three. I want you to write this down. Develop patience with those who oppose you. Develop patience with those who oppose you. You might think of right now some people in your life that don't like you. And some of them, it's like, I have no idea why they don't like me. Like, I'm just nice to them all the time, but they just don't like me. There could be tons of reasons for that. It might be because you actually um, maybe did do something bad and you don't remember it. Um, But maybe it's strictly because they're jealous of you. Guess what? That's exactly what was going on with Saul and David. Saul was jealous of David. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. He didn't really like that song. Um, that didn't make it on uh, his most played on his Spotify. He didn't, he didn't like that. Um, but this patience that David had, he never killed Saul. He had the opportunity, but he never killed. He, he let God take care of Saul, even though Saul was doing him harm. Look, if you're going to be a good leader, and right now this is needed more than ever, if people are opposing you and people are not liking you, and people are doing things to harm you. Guess what God's word says? Does it say, hey, here's what you should do. Go take it in your own hands. 
If people talk bad about you, talk bad back. Is that what the Bible says? Absolutely not. See how David didn't do to Saul what he deserved? Actually, later on in David's life, he needs this patience. Right? He's going to be the king. You know that by my account, when David was the king, he had over seven people who opposed him just like Saul did. And guess what David did to them? Nothing. He didn't kill them. He didn't oppose them. He left it to God's wrath. I want you to turn to this passage. You, know, you might not have turned anywhere, but I want you to turn to this passage. Psalm 94. Psalm chapter 94. This gives us a helpful perspective of how we should view people and situations when they're opposing us. Why are they opposing me? I didn't do anything wrong. How do I not fight back? Check it out. Psalm chapter 94. If you open right to the middle of your Bibles and turn right a couple of pages, you'll probably find the book of Psalms. Psalms is that big book. It's the song book. By the way, I'm going to teach you something that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. Does that say Psalms or Psalm? Psalm or Psalms? Which one is it? That's a, that's a great question. That, am I blowing your mind right now? Psalms or Psalm? Psalm is if there's only one. Psalms is if there's two. Just like a song, S-O-N-G, or songs with a Z. No, with an S, right? Well, it's plural. It's not Psalms 94. It's Psalm 94. There you go. You'll never forget it. Anyway, that gives you enough time. Hopefully you're there. Check it out. Here's what it says. Psalm 94, verse 1. It says, O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. You know what vengeance means? We get words like revenge and the Avengers from that, right? What did the Avengers do? What did they do? What did they, okay, avenge, great, thank you. Um, way, to, way to use the word in its own uh, definition, right? What did the Avengers do? They, okay, yeah, great, thanks. What does it mean? Okay, maybe I'll ask a simple. What does it mean to avenge? Come on, somebody shout it out. Okay, Avengers, yeah, I know, the Avengers avenge. Here's what it means, to fight back, right? The people who do something wrong, like in the Avengers, you always notice that there's a bat, there's always a need for the Avengers, right? They don't just like hang around, you know, they always go and they do their own thing and then they have to like be reassembled all the time because they always leave. It's like, maybe you guys should just hang out together. Maybe you should like buy houses that are like in the same zip code. But no, like people are like leaving the galaxy or whatever. I don't know. Um, point is, the Avengers, they're assembled. What do they do? They take revenge on the people who did the wrong thing. What this is saying is God is a God of vengeance. God will do the revenge. He's going to be the one that's going to take care of it. Verse two, rise up, O judge of the earth. Rep repay the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? Or that means to celebrate or to say, ah, I'm awesome. Verse four says, they pour out arrogant words. They think they're all that. All the evildoers boasts. They crush your people, O Lord. They afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. That's meaning murdering orphans. Right? And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. That's probably how David felt right there, right? Saul's going after him. And guess what Saul says? God doesn't see this, right? When people attack people, when they're mean to people, and when they treat people unfairly and unjustly, you know what the mindset usually is? God's not gonna judge this. God doesn't see this. Look what it says. Verse nine, or verse eight. 
Understand, O dullest of the people, which this translation says dullest. Some other translations say, um, understand, O stupid people. Um, So there you go. It's in the Bible. Um, Fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? That's a great question. Okay, the one who made your ear, do you think he's not able to hear? Do you think he's not able to understand what you're saying? He who formed the eyes, does he not see? People act like it. They act like the God who's the judge and the God of vengeance. He doesn't even actually see what they do when nobody else is watching. He doesn't see what they think. He doesn't say, he doesn't hear what they say when nobody else is around, when it's just the friends and the parents are gone. He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and to whom you teach your law, to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolation cheers my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? Those who frame injustice by statute or by law, they band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold, my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord, our God, will wipe them out. This is kind of an intense sermon. But you need to realize this is the mindset that David must have had, that I'm not going to take revenge. I'm not going to fight against Saul because God will take care of it for me. Here's what the New Testament says. Romans 12 verse 19 says, beloved, never avenge yourself. Right? Never avenge yourself. Doesn't, that doesn't mean when people do things wrong to you, God doesn't see it and God doesn't know it. Actually, in fact, the opposite. This says God sees it, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. When people talk bad about us, we should never take it upon ourselves to talk bad about them. Here's what you should say. And here's what you should think. God listens. God heard what they said. God knows the bad thing they did. And God's going to take care of it. I'm not going to take care of it. God's going to take care of that. Back to the story. One of the times that Saul was trying to kill David, he stumbled upon David. um, And Saul went in this cave to go to the bathroom. This picture shows him sleeping, but he was really going to the bathroom. (laughs) That's what the passage says. Um, So whoever drew this obviously drew this for kids, right? Because it'd be weird. So here's what happened, right? Saul was going to the bathroom, right? Leave it to your imagination how this worked. Um, His robe was probably a long robe because he was a king. David comes up to the edge of the robe and cuts the corner off with his knife and takes it back into the cave, right? Saul leaves, right, from relieving himself, which means going to the bathroom, right? He leaves the cave, right? Goes down the mountain and David walks by what Saul left and steps on the edge of the cave and says to Saul, hey, Saul, you like my face mask, right? Hey, check this out, right? Um, check out this, this, uh, this piece of robe. And Saul had been hunting him for years at this point. Saul actually hadn't seen David in years, but he went to the bathroom in his cave, right? 
David comes out with the corner of his robe and says, hey, you missing this? Check this out. Saul said this. He says, may the Lord therefore judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hands. That's actually David saying that. And as soon as David has finished speaking these words, Saul lifted up his voice and he said, is this your voice, my son? Remember that? (laughs) It's his son-in-law, David. And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, you are more righteous than I. For I have, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. He did not take revenge on himself. Later on, he became the king. And Saul would die in a battle. And God took care of Saul, moved him out of the way, and set up David to be the king. And when he did that, he did not take it into his own hands. One of Saul's sons survived and tried to be the king. His name was Ishbosheth, right? That name didn't last, right? Um, names like Saul and David, those are good uh, king names. Ishbosheth, that's just too long. It doesn't fit on the ID card, right? Um, just uh, doesn't fit on the crown. It's too long. Got to make a bigger crown, right? Well, he didn't really last. And the reason he didn't last is because God took care of it for David. David didn't have to kill him. There's a guy named Abner who opposed David. God took care of him. There's many people like that through the course of David's life. And David kept his integrity. That means as David did the right thing, even when he could have done the wrong thing. And for you and I, there's times where we have the opportunity to do the wrong thing. And you might think, oh, I'm not going to get caught. I can tell this little lie. I can do this little thing. I can eat this little cookie from the cookie jar, right? Sorry, that's like a kid's example, right? Um, Remember when you were little and your parents said, don't eat from that jar or that, you can't have the candy from the thing, right? Anybody remember that? Just me? Okay, cool. Um, My parents like, you can't have candy before dinner. That's wrong, okay? And then if I had candy, I'd break in the rules, right? Um, Which I did not do very often, okay? I'm not gonna um, confess to some chronic uh, candy stealing. I wasn't wasn't that guy. That was my brother. Um, So, wasn't me. You guys know. Your siblings is the one who does the wrong things, right? It's not you. Right? They've got the... Isn't that right? Like, who's siblings in here? Isn't that right, Diego? Where are you? Diego and Liam. Yeah, no. Um, what? Uh, right, yeah, I know. I'm just kidding. Anyway, um, what was I talking about? You guys, see, I did this last week. Remember when I did this last week and we got, like, derailed? I'm back on, right? Integrity is what we're talking about, right? Doing the right thing, no matter what. Doing the right thing, even when you could do the wrong thing. David's upbringing in his life was all about that. So point number four, I want you to write this down. Develop integrity to always do the right thing. Even when you have the chance to do the wrong thing. Even when you think you're going to get away with it. Because honestly, David was the king. He could have just been like, guys, let's just finish these guys off. I know they're opposing me. Let's just kill them. And you might say, wait a minute. Why did he kill Goliath and not these other people? I thought David was this intense guy. Yeah, well, remember with Goliath, what was it all about? It wasn't about David. It was all about God. When it was about David, David wouldn't touch him. David wouldn't kill him at all. Because he says, I don't want to take revenge. I want God to be the judge. Integrity. We're going to look at this verse in our small group. Proverbs chapter 4 talks about how God wants us to keep our hearts. And what that means is to keep our hearts and our minds and our lives from doing the wrong thing. Here's how we know. It says, put away crooked speech, saying things that are bad, using words that we shouldn't. Talking about topics that are wrong. Talking about people in ways that are wrong. Put away crooked speech. And put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward. And your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. 
then all your ways shall be sure. Do not swerve from the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. This is talking about living life that's full of integrity. You're doing the right thing no matter what, even when everybody else doesn't. Here's the sad reality of David's life. He didn't always do the right thing. There were times where he did the wrong thing, where he lost his integrity that he had as as a young man. That when he grew older, there are things that he did that were so wrong that God had to call him out. God used a guy named Nathan, this old prophet, to call him out and to say that you're wrong. You can't be doing this sin. But the good thing about David is just like Abraham when he sinned and just like Moses when he sinned. And it's great that in the Bible we have examples of good godly people, but we get to see the sinful things they do. That's encouraging maybe to you that you could be having godly desires and then you, then you mess up. Right? What do you do? You be like David. You be like Moses. You respond the right way. He responded by saying this in Psalm 51. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from all my sin. For I know my sin and my transgression is ever before you. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He repented and he said he was sorry and he was wrong. And that's how he moved forward. Those four things that we talked about, those four things that we can do to develop to be godly leaders are things that we need to put in practice today. So we're going to look at some small group questions here in a minute. What I want to do is pray, and we're going to break up into these awkward, weird, small group locations like we did last week. So let's pray and ask God to help us become these godly leaders he wants us to be. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for examples of people like Abraham, like Joseph, like Moses, like David, and even like the people we're going to look at next, in the next few weeks. I ask you to please help us become leaders. I know that some of these students don't think of themselves as leaders, but in many ways, some of them already are. Pray that you'd help them be godly leaders that help other people be more like you. I know that David was a great example for us. He was flawed and he definitely did the wrong thing sometimes, but we're so thankful that we have his example, that we can develop integrity like him, that we can develop patience like him, that we can develop a passion for your honor and most importantly and primarily and first off, that we can develop desires to be more like you. Pray that a lot of that would start tonight. Pray that some students who maybe don't have a strong desire to do what you want would get that tonight, that they'd be encouraged by David's example. Pray that they get a passion to do the right thing and a passion to defend your honor in the world. And this world defames you so often and they do the wrong thing and they make you look small and bad. Pray that we would not stand for that, that we would be bothered by that. Pray that we'd be like David in that way and you'd help us be the leaders you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, guys, so here's the deal. Like we did last week, we're gonna go out one by one.